You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm your host Mitchell Shirk, and this week got some exciting news and I'm just going to roll right into it because it, it relates to this episode and it's uh, it's pretty exciting for, for me and, and this individual. I'm, I'm looking forward to what the future holds for us. Um, so, so right off the bat, this week our guest is Clifford Martin from Radix Hunting and what I'm really excited about is <clears throat> this is the, the the first episode and the announcement that uh, we're, we're bringing on a new partner to the show. I'm really excited to work with these guys. Um, Radix Hunting is, a, is an awesome company. I met these guys at the ATA show and I've been connecting with them ever since and you want to talk about die hard down-to-earth, dedicated hunters um, that uh, that have a purpose greater than just hunting. You know, they're they're all about hunting. Don't get me wrong, and uh, knowledgeable knowledgeable guys with quality products. But um, there, there's a greater purpose to what they're doing, and that's why I really like these guys. I really like. Uh, <clears throat> I, I'm just really excited what the future is going to hold. But this week we're we're catching up with Clifford, and Clifford is a guy who you're you're going to hear uh, hear a little bit about his story. But he is originally from Pennsylvania. And I tease him a little bit because he is the the one man that I know that has made the joke that so many whitetail hunters talk about. He has made that come true. And uh, that's he's picked up and moved to Iowa, and he is living the whitetail hunter's dream of chasing big deer in Iowa. And he's been very successful in his career as a whitetail hunter. Uh, we talk about that journey and the things he's learned over time, how he's become successful. And it's uh, it's a really great conversation. We talk about the tools of the trade, some of his experiences, and uh, we, we lead into talking about Radix hunting products. And that uh, is, a, is a great transition because a, a lot of the products that he... Um, <clears throat> that they have with Radix Hunting, they're solely 
uh, connected to hunting strategy. And, and, you know, he has these products in place. These products are available to us as consumers because um, they're, they're quality and he believes in them and they're, they're valued, important things for the success that he has. And uh, I, I feel in a, in a very similar manner. So um, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get right to this episode. This is a deer hunt. This is a mature buck hunting mindset conversation. And uh, this is the kind of conversations that just get me fired up. I love to hear different people's perspective when it comes to hunting mature deer. I mean, they're a different animal. And whether you are somebody who is all about chasing mature deer, maybe you don't care about mature deer at all, it's still... Um, a conversation from somebody who just invests a lot into whitetail hunting and the knowledge and just just loves to learn about whitetail deer. And those are the conversations that I love no matter where you land in the spectrum as a deer hunter. <clears throat> so real quick, let's get to this episode. I'm going to do my first commercial for this company and I'm, I'm real excited to, to talk about these products. So if you guys are looking to up your game in your trail cameras if you want to expand your camera arsenal look no further than radix hunting you can visit them at radixhunting.com and check out their trail cameras um, the gen 600 trail camera has incredible video and image quality and is extremely extremely competitive when it comes to the price of cameras in the industry not to mention they are coming out with the gen 700 which all the fantastic attributes that the 600 have it's just going to be on steroids with the 700 and it is really priced well guys um, not to mention we've also got mcore cellular trail cameras and they are priced at a very affordable rate with quality that is unmatched compared to anywhere in the industry and and lastly i want to make known with with radix you've also got the option to check out their hunting blinds soft shell and hard shell hunting blinds feeders if that's something you guys have on your farm and you want to get into supplemental feeding throughout the off season uh keeping in mind our rules and regulations with cwd in our state now and there's also plenty of trail camera accessories for you guys to check out. Uh, this is a company that has fantastic products and I'm excited to work with. And if you want to check them out, go to RadixHunting.com on the internet. And you can also check them out on Instagram and Facebook. And with that, let's get to this episode. Hey, on the phone with me is Clifford Martin from Radix Hunting. Uh, hey, how's it been going? Thank you for taking some time out of your day and, and chatting with us. Yeah, hey, absolutely. It's uh, We're doing good um, out of Iowa here and got a little bit of snow this morning. So Really? Uh, we're, I'm we're... actually, like, I still have the wood stove going at my place every now and then to kind of cool off the morning, but we got, we're getting into the 50s right now. And uh, like yeah. yesterday was absolutely beautiful, and kind of kind of made me think turkey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a strutter on my cameras this morning, my cell cameras, and yeah, it's getting getting pretty close. Uh, we, you know, I head to uh, Kansas first of the week, so we're getting close, but we're still uh, here in Iowa. It's still for some reason we can't get rid of this winter weather, but uh, yeah. 
We have we have turkey hunted in the snow here, so it I might be one of the <laughs> years again. Long, uh, it's long overdue too, because we were we were we were chatting last week, and you, uh, it's kind of par for the course. I mean, you've been going kind of running ragged here with uh, with show season running all over the pretty much all over the country, busy with that. So it's uh, it's probably long overdue yep. to go chase some turkeys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, um, you know the turkey season got here a lot quicker than I thought. But you know, normally me and the boys, uh, you know, we do a lot of shed hunting and so on. And boy, this year we we did more trade shows uh, with Radix than than we have in the past. And yeah, we got out we got out a handful of times for shed hunting, but um, a lot of them are probably going to be left alone this year just because of uh, busy. And then I'll, once you move into turkey season, for me, I don't know how it is for you, but once we move into turkey season, the sheds kind of get left in the in the back, and uh, you kind of start chasing turkeys. So. Yeah, it's a light switch that but, but flips, yeah. and you start going kind of crazy over <laughs> turkeys. But you know what? That craziness yeah. of show season and everything else, I mean, uh, it's all it's all part of it. We did an episode not that long ago with uh, Bo Martonic from the East Meets West Hunt podcast. We were talking with him about his transition from his day job to full-time in the outdoor industry, and he was talking about you know the, the struggles and, and the time commitment it takes to work work for yourself and have their own business and the struggles. And then, you know, he was talking about how, you know, people only see the, uh, I guess the reward, so to speak, when you're, when you're out there, you know, multiple weeks during the hunting season hunting and you're you're laying out great content for hunting and people go oh it must be nice and he, he kind of yeah. made the comment he's like well it is nice he goes but you don't see what's behind the scenes of what i have to do in order to allow this to happen in my lifestyle so that's kind of what you're going through like no nope, yep. nobody's talking about the craziness that you go through this time of year <laughs> with that kind of line of work absolutely and that's that's exactly right it's you know I got a love and hate relationship with what I do. I mean, I love it. And uh, then you still have on the back end there, you just have a lot of things going on. You know, you work. I say, I tell people I work day and night. You got to just kind of, you know, it's when it's your business, you just uh, got to put all the effort in that you, you can. And, but still, it does allow you to kind of have your own schedule when, uh, when you can get that balance right for, you know, hunting and fitting that in into the crazy world uh it is still great um i look at you know yesterday morning uh you know it was monday morning and uh i was out frost seeding plots um for a couple hours and i was thinking yeah not not many people can do that monday morning <laughs> if you got a nine to five job or eight to five or however you want to say it but yeah so you still you still can do things uh at your your you know your schedule and pace if you can find that right balance that's absolutely right, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you a little bit for a second, but I think it'll lead in really well to uh, kind of letting you kind of introduce yourself and how you kind of came into Radix. But folks, this is the man that is living the dream, who moved from Pennsylvania to the promised land of Iowa, and he's gonna tell us all about how to do that and how to convince your wife and 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 just move out and chase big bucks. But no, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm picking on you a little bit. I mean, that is that is a little bit of the story, but there's a lot more to it than that so i'll kind of let you do a better job of introducing yourself and kind of how you got rolling with uh with radix sure yeah i'll uh, kind of keep it brief obviously but you know i did grow up in uh, pennsylvania you know hunted the you know in the eastern part mostly and uh, hunted up in the you know 
kind of northeastern part of PA for oh for many years. I think I was uh, 25 when I got married, and uh, my wife was from Kentucky. And obviously, that was a pretty new adventure for me. I had I did have family that lived down there in western Kentucky, and anyway, we lived down there for uh, six years and um, had some chicken houses, farming. Kind of had my own schedule, but it was a little. It was it was um, not quite my cup of tea. So, you know, I, I was I was doing construction and doing a little bit of uh, farming on the side. So. Uh, but anyway, we, I always dreamed about moving to Iowa. We had a church group up here that we had our eye on that was in, uh, northeastern Missouri. And, uh, so I did convince my wife. I actually came up here by myself a time or two just to check it out and, uh, finally brought my wife up here and we thought it would be a great place to, you know, to have our uh, family up here. Um, it's a really awesome area if you love hunting. Obviously, we're right. We, the church group that we were with, uh, or are with, is uh, just on the uh, Missouri side, and um, obviously with the Iowa draw for for deer. And if you like big deer, um, you know we we moved on the Iowa side. And uh, <laughs> I, let, let's put it this way: it was the best move of my life. <laughs> and you never uh, we complained really about it. <laughs> no, absolutely. The hunting is great. Uh, you know, the, there's a great group of people here in our church. It's just, uh, it's, it's just a really awesome place to be. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sure as far as for my wife, I try to, you know, her family is in Kentucky. So we try to spend as much time down there for, for her. She sacrificed, you know, coming with me and leaving her family behind. So, and, uh, I'm kind of a loner. So it's easier for me. I could, I personally could move anywhere in the world. It wouldn't bother me, but. Not everybody is like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> so so yeah, it was a, it was a great move, and and then it kind of led into you know um, what do we do out here? And I did start um, helped a friend, kind of started trail camera company. Did never really panned out, and uh, obviously I kind of had my fingers into uh, working with manufacturers and so on to help him, and it didn't work out so. You know, my light bulb went on and I'm like, hey, why don't I just, I really enjoyed it. Why don't I just do my own thing? And that was in 2017. And yeah, Radix has uh, gone quite a few places since that. <laughs> and so, and yeah, and you know, we can't complain about the hunting. I well, mean, I've, the hunting is, is great. <laughs> absolutely. And I kind of want to dig into that a, just a little bit more because, you know, we were, we were talking, uh, we were talking about that and, you know, you I talked about some of the places in Pennsylvania that I've hunted, and you were very familiar with those places in your in your uh, your your life back he- back here. Um, so yeah. I was kind of curious, you know, the experiences you had here, and then you go to a state like Iowa where the deer density is different, the dynamic of the of the herd is different, the age class is different. Um, mm-hmm. Did <clears throat> did you? I, I'm kind of curious. Like, did you? take a lot of what you had learned in Pennsylvania and it applied really well to Iowa or did that change in the landscape and the deer herd change you and your mindset as a hunter I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of you know progressing mature buck because I know you're somebody who pursues mature buck and you like to get them to, to, to harvest mature deer at an older age class so I'm just kind of curious like what did mm-hmm. that chronological process look like for you 
Yeah, I mean, um, as far as age structure, you know, obviously in Pennsylvania, it's definitely harder to get your your age um, on a mature deer. And, and honestly, back then, when I was 25 years, you know, all the way up to 25 years old, I was very passionate about chasing deer and, you know, maybe a bigger buck for Pennsylvania. Um, I, I did have, you know, that bug and, uh, I spend a lot of time. Um, obviously it is harder there because, you know, you're, it is, you, you know, to get a deer to, to that four or five years old is just not as easy in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. as it is in Iowa. But, uh, I still did have that big buck craze. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, out in the timber studying deer. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, that has kind of helped me moving to here and applying what I've learned in there. But still, I think, you know, I moved to Kentucky and there we did have a little bit, uh, you know, Western Kentucky is known for some big deer. And, uh, and that just kind of kept escalating. And I'm like, you know, got that bug. I started running more trail cameras back then. Actually, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I, I only had like one or two trail cameras. Um, and I didn't really use them. Um, to help me, um, is more just a fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. But as I got into Kentucky, I started using trail cameras and I learned what I could, you know, the information you get out of them, target your older deer, you know, once and so on. And then when I moved to Iowa, that's kind of where it all fell apart, I guess. And then I, then I was really hooked. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, to, to take, to take what you said, I did, you know, a lot of stuff that I did learn in PA. Um, I guess, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, it takes a lot of, uh, time and effort and persistence, um, to, to, to chase deer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even in, even living in Iowa, you still got to apply that. I mean, there's a lot of people in Iowa that everybody loves the big deer, but they, they take a lot of time. And if you, if you love mature deer, even, you know, they turn into a different animal. So obviously they, they're not as easy to kill, even though in Iowa we do have more than other states, probably as far as deer reaching their maturity. But uh, they they still become a, a tougher animal to to hunt. And yeah, uh, I just tell, <laughs> yeah, and I just tell people, you know, it is you still um, it takes it takes a lot of time. And I when I talk about a lot of time, I personally tell people it, it's an all year process. Sometimes, you know, I kill, a, you know, a deer, a deer I was, you know, most people would dream about uh, on opening day, but it didn't really start there. It, mm-hmm. It's a lot of, lot of stuff before, prior to that, before you get to kill them. Okay. And um, so as far as spending time to hunt, you know, it's, I don't maybe do as much as I used to. I just try to be a little more precise and I use, you know, the month prior to that to try to put me in the right place <laughs> well absolutely you're 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 hunting all year it's just the yeah. the season when it opens the time that you would actually spend in the tree you're you're, you're becoming more efficient with what you've learned over time and i was i was kind of curious like if you know when you came to iowa like i'm, I'm sure when you moved to iowa it was just a different world because there are problems and i'm assuming this i can't speak from my own personal experience i'm just assuming that mm-hmm. your amount of mature buck encounters had to naturally go up just by sheer 
numbers. And I've heard you say that before yeah. too, that like a mature deer, regardless of where you are in the country, is just a different animal. So, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, how, how do you, how do you even go about somebody like, you know, I think about people I've, I've chatted with in Pennsylvania that have not experienced mature deer just because, you know, whether it's their hunting experiences their or their, their maybe lack of knowledge. I mean, what, what are some things that mature deer have taught you in your career, especially going out through an island and just being around them more? Sure. Um, well, uh, that's a good question. Like I said, I, I just tell people that, um, a lot of people don't understand. Obviously, I do not want to come across. I am learning every day. I enjoy it. I enjoy sharing it with people, but I don't want to come across as, hey, I know it all. Um, that's the biggest thing, but I can definitely share with you what I've learned, and a lot of it is is big deer don't make many mistakes. Sometimes they get dumb and they walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that. Uh, where they, you know, maybe like the one I killed in late muzzleloader this year was a deer that I've had about, I think, three or four years of history with him. And he didn't make many mistakes, and he had me a little flustered. He was in a bigger area. Um, and uh, But this year, he kind of he lost his, uh, I don't know, he was just comfortable, and he started just walking around in the daylight. And if you listen to Mark Jury or somebody like that, they, they say when sometimes a deer will just, one year they just kind of lose it and they decide there's nothing to worry about or whatever. And they start walking in the daytime all mm. over the place. And I've sensed that, but, um, overall a deer doesn't, uh, I've, I've, majority of the ones that I've shot, um, they give you one chance. And if you mess that up, your odds definitely are, you know, d- decrease like crazy. Um, but it's just, uh, you got to make that first, op- you know, that first encounter with them, make it count. Uh, I don't say doing anything dumb, but, uh, you know, just playing it really smart, not doing anything dumb because I've learned in life, if you can get that opportunity to, to lay your eyes on them and make it count. Um, and a lot of people that I think that's where they kind of mess up is, um, they think they're going to get another chance and, uh, big deer are so touchy and, you know, it comes down to scent control, hunting the wind. Um, and the way I set my farms up with food plots and stuff is the less intrusion you can do. Uh, it is, it's, it's a huge list. It's actually not that hard, but it is a big list. And once you kind of figure it out, you can kind of apply it to wherever you go. And uh, I'm not definitely don't want to say I have it figured out. I, I have some things that work for me, and and like I said, I don't mind sharing them. But biggest thing is, you know, if you can get that first encounter and make it happen, um, and uh, you know, don't don't be shy about making it happen, getting a little aggressive with it right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's, <coughs> it, every and every deer, every scenario is is can be very different, but. Mm-hmm. If you have your basic things in line and uh, let him make that mistake and then making it count right out of the gate, super, super important. I don't think any of us have it figured out by any means. We're, we're always learning. No. But, I mean, the experiences that we have, I mean, that's why we love to share it. Just because, I, I mean, to me, wisdom is, is in a multitude of counsel, regardless of the, the topic in life. And I love to pick people's brains over that. And I'm kind of curious, you know, you, you've gone through a journey from PA to Kentucky to Iowa. And, and now, you know, you've, you've been very successful in Iowa. I'm kind of curious now with 
as you think back through your uh, hunting career, um, maybe maybe you can remember things you used to do in Pennsylvania or, or hunting tactics or things things that you would approach that now you say, man, I should approach it differently. So I, I ask the question, if let, let's say something happened in your life that forced you to come back to Pennsylvania and you were you were back to back to um, I'm not going to say square one. You have the knowledge of the state and places to go, but you're you're just putting yourself in a different environment. Are there things you would approach differently now if you were putting that situation versus when you were 25 years old? Yeah, I think so. I think you know um, you got to be very uh, that I've learned with big deer, older deer, mature deer is um, I probably um, lack. Um, how would I say being consistent? Um, basically, if you like big deer, you got to be consistent. You got to be happy. Basically, maybe not seeing a deer. And, uh, that's something I lacked in PA probably is just being, you know, moving too quick, et cetera. Big deer don't, they don't make a lot of mistakes. So especially mature deer, you know, obviously I'm not saying it's, a mature deer is not always a big deer, but let's say you're targeting a mature deer in PA. One thing, you know, is just being comfortable, um, not having to harvest that deer that day. Mm-hmm. And um, back then, you know, I would move around and jump around. And even though I knew there was a big deer there, you know, and, and I still do that. Actually, you know, sometimes I trail cameras don't lie and then they remind you that you should have been somewhere else and you move too quick <laughs> so, so you get what i'm saying is one thing that i've learned as far as you know mature deer is put your time in be be comfortable i don't really call it be comfortable with failure but uh anytime we're in the timber it's you know for me is is a win so it's not a failure but you know i think a lot of people um if they don't get what they want you know, one or two times out, they, they try to change their plans or move, maybe move to a different area or different woods or something. And, uh, you got to just be consistent. And as long as you're not pressuring that deer, you know, just be consistent. And some of them come easy and some of them, uh, you know, take a couple of years. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things you're kind of alluding to is the patience that it takes for mature deer. And yeah, uh, I mean, patience is is a virtue in anything, so to speak. Um, Yes. (laughs) Have have you grown in patience and all in your life with that? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I tell people, um, obviously, I've been very fortunate, very blessed to take some, you know, shoot some really big deer in Iowa. And it does get easier when you have some big ones on the wall. I tell people it's like climbing a ladder. And, uh, you know, when I moved to Iowa, I started off with a 150. I couldn't believe it. My first year, I shot him opening day. I should have never shot him. But that was like a big deer to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and let's face there, it, it, it is a big deer. But when you're talking about comparing it, it to what, <laughs> what else is out there, there are bigger right. deer. And there's there's nothing wrong with pursuing bigger no. deer it's it's all par for the course of where you're hunting absolutely and it was a mature deer it was a very mature deer so there was nothing wrong with it but i probably could have shot a lot bigger deer but oh man when i seen that deer it's like oh dude i'm gonna kill that thing and uh <laughs> it was opening day the first day i was here <laughs> you know my first day of hunting iowa 
And uh, but it is like I tell people, it is like um, it is easier. I shouldn't say it's a lot easier, but your patience. Um, you, you know, you get better with patience. The more the, the the after you have, let's say you step up the ladder, and it's easier for you to pass up a 160. Actually, wait on that 170 or 180 you had on camera all summer. But man, when you when you don't have a lot of patience, um, you know you're going to shoot that deer, or most people will. And uh, you kind of you know, I I don't know if the, what the right word is for it, but you get you get a little stronger the more deer you get under your belt. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, experience experience uh, is a teacher. Yes, correctly. So, like I said, it's just um, I don't really have all the answers. I I definitely enjoy it, and uh, and uh, like I said, I don't mind sharing what I've learned. And and each each deer kind of teaches you something new, even, even though you you know you can apply all the basic uh, principles to how you've shot the prior deer. And then this one will throw you for a loop. <laughs> I think so. they're definitely all individuals for sure. I'm I'm kind of curious. I want to yeah. pick your brain. I have a question. Like we're, I, I think right now in this day and age with the amount of content for deer hunting and all these different trains of thought. Um, uh, first of all, one thing I will say that I, I'm really thankful for is there's, there's a lot of people out there that have really put, um, enjoyment or uh, made it cool to hunt public land, which is great. And I love that support. And I think what, one thing I've personally learned in my own hunting is there are some similarities to hunting public versus private, but there's also some differences. And I, I think the, the word or the term that I'm thinking of is aggressive, so I, I, mm-hmm. along those lines, with, with your experiences and, and the settings that you hunt, what what does an aggressive hunter l- look like? Like, how do you define or, or how do you say or know when is the right time to be aggressive? Because there's a lot of talk out there that if you're not aggressive, you're not going to capitalize on a mature deer. And, and I think it's just a matter of how you define that. So I'm just kind of curious, like you connect on big deer. So obviously you're being aggressive to some case in point, but I mean, how would you mm-hmm. expand upon that? Like, do you know what I mean? I, yeah, somewhat. Um, it is um, being aggressive. I guess the first thing that pops to my mind that would actually carry over to even a public land hunter for me, I hunt a lot of smaller parcels. I don't hunt a lot of big parcels. I actually have more success with smaller parcels. And so obviously when I hunt smaller parcels, I have neighbors, even in Iowa. Um, and I have good ones and I have bad ones, just like anywhere else. Mm. I mean, and I shouldn't say bad people. I'm just saying uh, some of my neighbors are, you know, big deer hunters or they, they have a nice farm that's set up and, you know, they're very, um, management minded. Then you have the guys that shoot everything, even in Iowa, just like any other state. And I've learned, and it would probably fall back to just kind of, even the public land hunters is, you know, scout your people, <laughs> mm. scout your neighbors. Uh, I shouldn't really maybe call it scouting. But I study what my neighbors do, and that goes kind of back to public land. Figure out what the – and I obviously don't hunt much public land anymore like I used to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of it goes back, what is everybody else doing? And uh, 
and uh, what are they doing, and then you try to hunt around them, basically. And I actually do that in Iowa, um, if you want to kind of look at it that way. I kind of do the same things. When I look at a farm or a little piece that I have, some of them are down to 20 acres, and I'll, the first thing I'll do is I'll study what is everybody else doing around me because that's going to determine how I hunt my deer and probably how my deer are going to be acting. And um, I hunt in some pretty tough neighborhoods, and uh, that can be the neighbors make it tough for me to, to shoot a big deer. And uh, then there's other neighbors that uh, that are, you know, the neighborhoods are easier. So I think, uh, I don't know if that's answering your question, but I think there's, there's one thing that I could take from public to private, you know, kind of using the same concept is what, you know, what are other people doing and uh, try to do it differently than what they're doing. But basically, I, I always say scout scout your neighbors or the people that are hunting around you, <laughs> if no, that makes sense. It, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, I struggle with this a lot, Clifford, because, like, I, I've hunted um, I've hunted both private and public land. I probably mm-hmm. do a little bit more private land hunting than public. And I, I think one difference that I've experienced, and I'd be curious what your thoughts are, when you're hunting private land, you're confined to that border. You know, you know, when you're talking about public land in Pennsylvania, I mean, heck, I got tracks where my camp is in northern Pennsylvania where it's 35,000 acres of state forest on one side and another 30,000 on the, on the other. I mean, and we got sections of the state that are 100,000. So, I mean, you're talking about the right. confines of a border. I mean, you can, enca- you can yeah. encompass um, an entire buck's home range in that area and bounce around and find that. When you're talking about parcels and you said small parcel i mean i i wonder what a small parcel definition is to you i mean to me a a small parcel is is anything under the the home range of a of a whitetail and that might be you know a thousand six hundred forty acres to me that's actually a small parcel i mean most of the parcels that i think we hunt and work on are are, i would almost define them as like a micro parcel you're talking about 10 20 40 50 acres i mean talk about the daylight movement of mature deer that's that's small and i I think when i'm when i ask that question i I like to pick everybody's brain and, and and see what their thoughts are because an aggressive hunter i think that definition of aggressive is dependent on where you have access for that specific deer Mm -hmm. like that that changes drastically in my mind yeah that you're right and uh that kind of goes you're you're exactly right on that that kind of goes to exactly what i was thinking um and i'll try to explain it in in my terms which might not make sense to everybody but one thing i've learned is the smaller parcels uh, obviously the deer, like you said, has a bigger range. Let's say, let's take a 20 acre piece, for instance. And personally in Iowa, I like to put a little food plot out, maybe a little clover plot or something. So most of the pieces I hunt, I try to have a food plot on them mm-hmm. and just kind of help increase that odds of making that deer come to my 20 acres. But a lot of it is you really don't need, um, just the biggest piece. Because it, I used to look across the fence and say, what I wouldn't give to hunt that farm over there, you know, that 300 acres that my little 20 acres butted up against. And I've learned in the, you know, 11, 12 years that I've lived in Iowa, 
I really actually do better when I can't get over there because those deer are comfortable there. And I just basically got to wait them out and play their game and let them make a mistake. And years ago, I would have went after them. Let's say, like you said, a big piece of public and where you can actually move on them. I don't always think that's, from my experience, I don't think that's always good because then all of a sudden, you know, you go deeper into his area where there's nobody intruding. Uh, you might not bump them in person. My my theory is, you know, they come through there, and trail cameras don't lie. So, I, uh, going back to you know Radix, I I I have the luxury of running lots of trail cameras. So, and I run majority of mine on video mode, so I can see. Uh, I learn so much more, and I can see how the deer react, et cetera. And a lot of people I don't think understand how touchy those big deer are. You might still be getting pictures of them, et cetera, but more you push into where he's sleeping or spending more of his time that's when you know what i call pressure on a on a big deer and me not having access to those bigger pieces and hunting the smaller spots keeps i think increases my odds because the deer stays around there and he just you know i'm not intruding into his area his comfort zone Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense to me because you're, you're talking about like, if you're going to move on a mature deer, you better have mm-hmm. a calculated move that they're not going to yeah. see you, hear you, or smell you, regardless of it's mm-hmm. private land or public land. Because, you know, a lot of guys talk about being a mobile hunter and that kills deer. I, I believe that if you're mobile, it's probably going to deter um, scent going in the same places and if you're you're bouncing around to the right places. But the, the parameter in my mind still stays the same, that you don't want deer to see you, hear you, or smell you and get them off of that comfortable yeah. daylight pattern. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's just my thought. I know you can get away. Let's just say we kind of exclude the um, the rut maybe a little bit. You can get away with more. They they're running around, et cetera. But I guess my thing is is prior and after prior to the rut. Let's say October, and then uh, maybe after the rut, you know, they get a little finicky again. But there is a couple weeks there you can get away with being super aggressive and diving into where they they are, but. I guess my I, I kill a lot of my deer um, in October before they even know what's happening. But, you know, you just got to be, there goes back to being patient and uh, hunting the smaller parcels. If you really like big deer, just be patient and let them make the mistake and don't go after them. A lot of people, I think, just from, in my own experience, like you asked me what I do differently, I did in Pennsylvania, you know, I didn't have the patience. I would be too aggressive too early and uh, wouldn't let them make the move. And uh, now I kind of sit back, watch my trail cameras, watch everything, including how I go in, my wind. I try not to walk where they can even smell me in the evenings or, or at night. I'm sorry, when they come through there, I try to. Um, and uh, there again, uh, just to clarify, I hunt smaller parcels, and a lot of them do not have much woods on them at all. I've learned those are the better pieces for me when I don't have any timber, and I just get them on the edges where I can hunt, you know, my little food plot, or where they walk along the edges doing, you know, working their scrapes. So I have very little intrusion, and I think that really, really, really helps me 
um, stay on big deer every year. Um, but it was quick as you dive into there where their little, their, what I call their comfort zone, you're flirting with, uh, making the, you know, moving. And a lot of people don't understand how smart they are. They, they'll come through there at night and they are sniffing every branch, every, every step you took. And they're putting that in their little computer in their head and, and uh, it can change him just like that in the snap of a finger. I think it's easy yeah. to underestimate the <laughs> the importance of that nose on a whitetail and what they are using that for, what yeah. they can process. I mean, I, I think if we had any idea what they could smell on a daily basis, mm-hmm. it would completely change our thought process when hunting. Oh, 100%. I mean, if you can eliminate a lot of that where they can smell you, I'm telling you from my experience, and obviously I'm learning every day, but I'm going to tell you that is, I can't stress enough how super smart and uh, how important that is. And man, I've seen some, uh, you know, in front of my camera at night where I was checking a card or something that that day before, and they are just standing there, video after video, and I'm talking a big deer of you know that that he was just just smelling everything. He sniffed the ground. He wasn't spooked or nothing. You know, that's the thing, you know, they don't always just blow out of there, but they are, they are definitely reading what any sign you, they, that you have left and you almost can't beat their nose. So mm. the more you can eliminate of that, oh man, your, your odds are just going to get better. And then, you know, don't be too aggressive as obviously you guys have more luxury of, you know, bigger pieces. I do too here in Iowa, but I've just learned. I actually target the little pieces because I do better. It keeps me from making dumb moves. Mm. And, uh, it's actually been, it's just been so much better for me. When you try to hunt a big piece, it is, it is completely different versus when you, you're not allowed to go any further. <laughs> yeah. There's a discipline aspect to that. Do you have a, do you have a yeah. favorite time that you like to target mature deer throughout the year or is it kind of, you know, any time of the year that they're going to be daylighting? Like I, I was, I was curious if there's a, a time you just prefer more than, than, you know, the, from the beginning of season to end. Well, I'll tell you what. So obviously in Iowa, um, October 1st is when our season opens. And uh, ever since I lived here, I had very good success the first week. And uh, it's just kind of a point where, you know, they're kind of getting back in their groove. You know, let's say the 1st of September, they lose their velvet. And then all your cameras die in September. And you're like, where'd they go? And then October, they start getting a little bit more consistent. Like, I, I don't know. After they lose their velvet, they kind of scatter here in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And that's just... Like I said, other people might say different, but from my experience, they kind of scatter. Your cameras die, and you're like, "Oh my, where where'd all my shoot? You know, my big bucks go?" And in October first, you know, around the October first, you start kind of having some that are making themselves at home in an area. And okay, this guy's going to stay here. And uh, a lot of people overlook. I uh, should maybe maybe not in Iowa, but uh, a lot of people are like, you know, maybe friends and so on. They they're like, oh, it's just too warm, et cetera. You know, I'm not, I want to go closer to the rut. And a lot of people miss that first week of October. And then obviously my second best would probably be just before the rut, uh, last week or so of October. They're very consistent on their feet. But, uh, 
but a lot of uh, my favorite time uh, of all would probably be the first week of October. Interesting. And it it's just um, kind of an overlooked time. It can be a little warmer, but boy, if you can if you can find a big deer, he's probably gonna keep doing. He's probably gonna do the same thing almost every night. And uh, it's just a killer time to shoot a big deer. I have a little bit of a different question, different avenue I want to take with this this next question yep. I had. Um, so let's let's go back to the basics. Um, whatever essentials that you and I would agree upon that are needed for for hunting, you know, being a bow hunter, you know. So I'm just basically I'm thinking your boots, the clothing on your back, your bow, your arrow equipment setup. Um, and, and your hunting license and a, and a knife for, for dressing. I mean, beyond that, there's there's not a lot of true essentials you need in order to, to truly kill a deer. So if we go with that mindset of whatever those bare essentials are as a bow hunter, then, then mm-hmm. in addition, I say, I'm going to give you the ability to have one additional tool um, in order to harvest mature. Like, what is one tool in addition to to your bare essentials that you find the most value when it comes to chasing mature deer? Well, <laughs> I know we're getting a lot of debate on, on this item, but 100% a trail camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not just because, you know, um, we sell trail cameras, but uh, that is by far the best tool you can have. And there's a lot that goes into running trail cameras that I've learned over, you know, the last uh, 10 years. And uh, it's kind of like hunting. You know, you can get good with trail cameras. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, here in the Midwest and obviously Iowa, it is a little easier. You know, you can put a food plot out and uh, probably get a picture of, a you know, your, your target deer. But overall, it is no doubt your trail camera is going to – and then obviously – there's people that can get anybody can get a picture of a big deer. I, that's kind of how that's just the word here in the Midwest. Anybody can get a picture of a big deer, but you still gotta, you know, to kill it is a whole completely different story. So, um, so there. But as far as for me personally, um, there is no other tool that gives you more information. And I always say trail cameras don't lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you get a picture of a big deer. It's up to you to what to do with you know, how you want to go about chasing that deer. Yeah, I, I, so, I like yeah. what you're saying about cameras don't lie, but I think there's definitely something that, that to be said when it comes to interpreting trail camera information. You said you run yours on video mode. Um, I, I've noticed that a lot yeah. of people who are darn good deer killers say that, and I'm, I'm kind of curious your your thought process and how, and also how you, you manage that with a number of cameras. Yeah, that's... Uh... Obviously, it takes a lot of batteries if you're going to run them on video mode. But uh, uh, but no, it is. It you learn so much more about the deer. Each deer is almost like a person. They act different. They operate different. They they're just every big deer is different. Some are I call them softies. I mean, some of them are so soft, and you know the way they the way they. And there again, I'm I'm completely different than probably most people. I've studied deer since I was uh, younger, and I've just been fascinated with deer. So I've I've watched deer back since I was in Pennsylvania. You know, I would go out in the evenings and study. You know, I watched deer with a spotting scope, 
And uh, I've learned that they're actually, and this is nothing new, I'm sure anybody that likes big deer or whatever will tell you kind of the similar things, but uh, big deer are all their, their nature different. Some are like just on edge and they, they're, they're like that from, you know, two years old. They're just an edgy little deer. Then you got these, you know, 200 inch deer that are just softies. Mm. And you, and so going back to the video mode versus a photo, a photo will just take a picture of that deer. That's just one of the things. But over the summer, let's say I'm going to just put myself in Iowa here. I get to see these, you know, this big deer almost every night on my trail cameras, you know. And, um, but if I would only be getting pictures of him, I really couldn't read that deer. Like, what type of deer is this? Is he going to be tough to kill? Is he going to be, uh, and by running a video mode, you learn what type of deer he is, uh, just how he's natured. And that only leads to all the other things that I learned from video mode is, which way is he coming? Which way is he going? Where a, a camera won't tell you always, won't always tell you that. And the information, if you can reach a read a video versus a photo, there's so much more information packed in a 20 second video than a single photo or a photo burst. Mm. It's, and it, and that's it. That's another thing is, you know, it's not for everybody. I just enjoy big deer and, and I'll sit here and I'll study that trail camera. And let's say how a deer walks to a scrape and how he acts. And it, it's probably some stuff I really can't explain, but I, I read every deer, like how they're natured and so on. And that's kind of how I apply how I hunt them then. Mm. And like I said, that's, it's probably stuff I can't even really explain. It's just stuff that I've kind of been doing since I've, you know, been what 14 15 years old mm-hmm. yeah it's it's <laughs> it's a lifetime of learning yes and it's just uh i don't always have answers for what i do the reasons i do what i do but um a lot of it is because i run my trail cameras on video mode i know the deer i know how aggressive i need to be like i said i have some deer that are just they're just like I, I tell them, I tell them, you know, my wife or somebody when I'm watching the video, I said, man, this this deer's just a big old baby, he's a big softy, mm. just the way he operates. Hmm. <laughs> and you know, that deer might be a little to me um, easier to kill um, than a than a high wired uh, deer. You know, you have some. I've I've chased some 200 inch deer here in Iowa that were they were just oh man, they almost wouldn't make. I, barely ever got a daylight picture of them and they were wired completely different that's probably why they were 200 inches Mm. but um it is every deer is natured they're almost like people they're just natured different and uh i read that because of you know to answer your question about the trail camera video and uh yeah just the information that is packed in like i run my trail cameras mostly on 20 second videos and uh, the information that's packed in that 20 seconds really will help you become a better hunter in my book. Interesting. Sorry, sorry about giving you the whole runaround on that video thing, but, yeah, I could go on and on about why I do that. I, I, I very seldom really run a camera on photo mode anymore unless I'm just not in, you know, if I'm just trying to get pictures of deer or maybe I'm not chasing one, I just want to say battery. Mm-hmm. I still will do a couple, but 
99% of my cameras, I will run them on video mode when I'm hunting just because I want all the information I can get. So then uh, that begs to ask me the next question. How do you set the delay up, or what? what's your theory on delay? Does that change from location to location with the camera? Not really for me. Um, obviously, I have, a, you know, I'm kind of spoiled. I do have access to cameras, batteries, solar panels, uh, more than the average person, obviously. So I have the luxury of that. So I actually keep my delay at five seconds. Mm. And um, I might get a lot more than, and I run, you know, 30, majority of my cameras, I run 32 gig cards. And then I will check them um, um, every, you know, about every two weeks. Just, that's just how I, you know, how I do. And I check, you know, obviously I go in, I have the luxury with my business and, you know, um, to, to check them at lunchtime. I check mo- 99% of my cameras I check at uh, midday mm-hmm. just for scent reasons. And, you know, if, if you, you, you know, if the sun's out, you know, it'll burn your scent away a lot more than, you know, if you go in at three o'clock in the afternoon, just a little before they get up, move around, you know, so I try to always do the midday thing. And, um, so yeah, just, you know, I have, like I said, I have the luxury of that. So I keep mine at five seconds. I try to get as much information as I can. I get a lot of nonsense videos, you know, of 20 videos of the same deer standing in the same scrape, you know, mm-hmm. um, before he walks off. But, um, yeah, so I probably look at it a little different than if, if I would, uh, wouldn't have that opportunity to, to have, you know, the, batteries and the solar panels versus an average person that has to, uh, you know, only can get a handful of them. No, I, it's a little easy. I can definitely, uh, I mean, I respect that answer and that makes sense because you're, you're getting as much information as possible. And I like that. And I mean, that's kind of, you know, you talking about, um, trail cameras being so important in your hunting strategy uh part of the reason why you got into this and i I think that's a a great segue i'd really like you to talk about um the 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 cameras that you have available talk about your products and you know how you position them in in the in the market and you know what what makes radix um the the awesome camera that it is because you know i'm excited you know this is uh cat out of the bag on this one that uh you know we, we've we've been fortunate to I'm, I'm anxious to to work with you this year and and use some some more of your cameras and i'm, I'm really excited about that and uh, i think i think that'd be great for everybody listening to this to uh to just kind of kind of hear uh hear it from the horse's mouth your your experiences with these uh these cameras and and uh, the awesome successes with them yeah absolutely no i appreciate that um like i said um Obviously, when I when I designed uh, the probably one of the better ones would have been the Gen 600. We had a couple models prior to that, and uh, they were all good cameras, a little higher quality photo and video mode uh, videos than maybe uh, some of your average brands out there. Um, obviously, when it comes back to getting information to hunt, and I'm a type of guy I like to see nice videos, nice photos, and uh, so that's kind of what I when I you know, started Radix, I wanted to have basically a premium, excuse me, a premium camera that does, you know, top-notch video, audio, everything. 
And I think we've kind of reached that point. I am. We are working on the 700, uh, the Gen 700. Uh, that should be available later this summer. And uh, that one is 4K. And uh, honestly, a lot of people say, you know, it's hard to, it's going to be hard to beat the 600. And as far as audio and video, um, it's probably one of the, you know, the better ones out there for for video mode. It's just, uh, and there again, I I, I want to create something that. Uh, uh, you can get as much information as you can, and and I want a top-notch video to do that. So um, that's kind of what how I set out to to um, build something. And it took a lot of time, you know, a lot of different. If maybe not everybody's familiar with uh, how it works, but it took months and months. Actually, I should say over a year of just testing different firmwares to get it to tweak it it just took a lot of time mm. and we took it, it's probably more than i probably would have needed to put into it but i want something that was premium and i feel we re- kind of reached that and uh i'm still trying to up it a little bit with uh, 4k um this year so fingers crossed we're, we're doing testing as we speak but uh, no i wanted something that when i when i have it on video mode that i can i can get to see everything hear everything I think I think as far as reaching that you know point, we 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 definitely hit it, and a lot of people really love our cameras for the video mode. Absolutely, that is one awesome attribute to the cameras, and there's a there's a a, a quality that's really not talked about when you compare it to other other companies. And I um, I can echo that. One one thing I'd be curious to there's you know a lot of people talk about how they use cameras and how they position cameras because. Um, and this is something that I don't, I, I will say that I am not as experienced at as I should be, or I probably don't pay mm-hmm. attention to close enough, but, uh, people talking about cameras spooking deer and how to position cameras and why certain cameras are, are better than the others. Do you, do you have any input on that? Well, that is, um, obviously, um, people, uh, won't, uh, won't quite understand um, look at it the same way as I do. So, uh, obviously it goes back to the point where I said deer are natured differently each deer. Mm. And, um, yes, cameras can spook deer, but what a lot of people don't understand. And, uh, obviously I might stick my foot in my mouth here, but I'll tell you what I've learned with deer and, and you can take it or leave it. But uh, most people think that cameras spook deer. Now, and, and I'm just going to say it this way. Every camera goes to sleep. And when a camera goes to sleep, it basically powers down to save battery. So it basically goes into sleep mode. And what spooks more deer, I'm not saying all the deer, but what if a deer spooks from a camera, every camera on the market, that I'm aware of will make a click when it wakes up. That click will spook more deer than a white flash or a red glow or anything like that will. That's just my experience. And it, you know, it's, it's that clicking sound of that camera coming out of sleep mode and, uh, that will alert a deer more than, than, than the light mm-hmm. of a, Cause I used to run, <laughs> I used to back when Cuddy back had their white flash cameras. I would use, 
Ishii would run them. And I had, you know, 180 to 200 inch deer licking the cameras while this camera was flashing in their eyes. Mm. And believe it or not, I think some deer are actually attracted to it <laughs> because I would have deer walk across the field to my camera and it was flashing in their eyes. And I have pictures of them, you know, right up in basically licking the camera, working the camera with that camera going off in their face. And there again, that deer probably didn't care about it. But to answer your question, positioning cameras, et cetera, uh, for good photos, um, that's a whole other subject probably. But as far as positioning cameras um, to not spook deer, uh, yeah, you could put them up high, you know, you know, shine them downwards, uh, point them downwards. That probably would help. But uh, I think the biggest thing that people don't understand, you, you know, your general uh, – you're, you know, your average person that doesn't really understand how cameras work uh, are thinking that flash, et cetera, is going to spook deer. From my experience, it's more the click of the camera waking up is what spooks more deer than, than any flash will. I, I, really now, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but um, I know there's a lot of talk out there about, you know, these cameras spooking deer, but. Um, I think um, just from my experience and working with cameras, that camera coming out of sleep mode will spook more deer than than any flash. I I, I think I definitely would agree with that. And the, the thing that I've this is just my opinion that I formed about whitetails, mm-hmm. and it's very it's very general statement. I just feel that whitetails, you know, they don't process. Yeah stimuli the way humans they don't have that high level of intellectual thinking they they what they can do is they can associate a negative stimuli and a positive stimuli and what i what i've often wondered this is my theory are there places in the country um due to hunting pressure due to the 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 things in the neighborhood is there a possibility that that has influenced a negative stimuli to the herd with a camera it's possible mm-hmm. um but i mean right. do, do you know uh, the the clicking sound uh, yeah that's that's a sound that's unnatural and i think sounds spook game um a little bit quicker than stuff with sight but i mean that's that's mm-hmm. that's not a rule of thumb it's just kind of my general observation but y- you know the the unnatural like flashing glows things like that like that's not that's not a normal um like it's not a natural occurrence. So you right. know, anytime a nat- an unnatural occurrence happens, if it doesn't harm them, a-, a lot of the time, I don't think it's a negative stimuli. Now, for some reason, right. they could associate that with a negative stimuli, then absolutely, I would I would believe that. But I- sound is one of those things that's a little bit different. Yeah, I think so, too. And like I said, you know, uh, you're, you're so right. I mean, and de- de- definitely don't want to throw it out the door that, um, some areas, you know, higher pressured, maybe public lands, um, even just the visual of a trail camera hanging on a tree, they'll pick that up. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, even if that thing didn't even make a noise or a flash, even in the daytime. I mean, I have some deer here that don't belong where they're, let's say, let's say I have a new deer show up and I know he doesn't belong there. Well, the first thing he, I see him doing, even in the daylight, is He'll stand there and he'll check my trail camera out because he knows it doesn't belong there. He doesn't belong there, so he's a little nervous already. 
and you know he's out of his box <laughs> mm. and um so they are definitely going to be a little more fidgety about that but as far as you know if i i would say in general um you know the the noise i, I always go back to the noise is probably the biggest factor you know from all the states that i hunt i hunt kansas wherever the waking up of the camera it doesn't sound loud to us but um, you put a camera in a quiet room and, w- and you know, let it go to sleep and put your hand in front of it. It's a pretty loud click. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people probably never even notice there is a click. And, uh, so, um, and some are louder than the others, et cetera. But, you know, if I put everything in a box and say what, what is the biggest factor for me, it probably would be that there again, there's so many factors from, they might have had a bad experience. You know, there might be a young guy going out and putting cameras out with his, you know, just got back from eating Casey's pizza and he got pizza grease all over his camera and mm-hmm. he's been prepping this deer and all of a sudden this deer's like, oh, that's, that's, you know, that thing that where that guy's going. It might associate it a little bit more as a danger. And I would say higher pressured, you know, states probably that your odds increase where they'll they'll say oh that's something i don't want to be around but as far as iowa as far as iowa i would say you know my biggest thing is the click clicking noise because i can have a deer basically be walking past the camera and that thing clicks and i can just kind of see him tense up a little bit and they'll stand there and look at it and then they'll do their thing like they just they just noticed it and it didn't spook them off or nothing but some states, I, I could see it doing happening. Well, and and like I said, the, the click is something that I think now that you mentioned that, I think I want to pay a little bit more attention to that. But you know, me coming from Pennsylvania, having experience um, with a multitude of of hunting environments, and we are a, a highly dense mm-hmm. state of hunters. I would absolutely echo everything you're saying as far as what deer do. I think that it just comes down to. Do they associate it with any negative stimuli outside of the camera? And then the other thing I think is a is a big component to this is something we talked about earlier in our conversation, and that's deer are individuals, and they're all wired a little bit differently, and how one deer reacts to a camera might be different. And, I mean, I can think of there, – there's one buck in particular. I won't talk about this buck too much, but a, a buck that I was I was part of that, you know, he lived his life listening to us – go past him on equipment throughout the calendar year. I, I, I learned where this deer spent a great deal of his daytime bedding time, and he was yeah. always within earshot of people. He was he, We had more pictures of that deer than any other deer that, that I've, I've been a, you know, a part of pursuing. And uh, you know his demeanor of that environment and where those cameras were placed is completely different than, mm-hmm. than you know, other deer that I've and I, I just think that's a an important thing to note. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, I can't express enough. You know, you can't put your finger on just one thing because, like you said, I mean, they live in different areas. Some deer are more comfortable around people and noise and, you know, let's say smells and whatever else. And even in Iowa, you know, we don't have quite the hunter density as you do, but I mean, it is amazing where they get comfortable, and uh, I could tell you stories, too, of deer that, even in Iowa, that have been 
around people. And obviously the one I killed this year by my house, I think he lived here all, all his life. That's where we found his shed where was a hundred yards from my house and my children are out there playing. And, um, you know, nobody would chase him where he was. And even me, I was kind of overlooking it. Mm. He was comfortable there. He had the road, the, there's always traffic going. And, you know, as you said, noise. And uh, he made himself at home there, and he was comfortable there. And a lot of people overlook that. But, yeah, you can't you can't really put your finger on one thing. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. They're all natured so different that you're just going to have to kind of – and there again, you know, let's throw that trail camera in there on video mode. It'll tell you kind of the nature of that deer quicker. It might help you uh, make different decisions on how you want to hunt them. Mm. And there again, I I can't tell you exactly why I do what I do on everything, mm-hmm. um, because it's just uh, I still scratch my head sometimes why I do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's funny you mention that because not only do I scratch my head why do I do what I do, but my wife scratches her head in what I do what I do. That that's that's very right. common for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that is very true. I'm sure my wife does too. She probably pulls her hair out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any bald spots yet, but I mean, we haven't been married long enough, I guess. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> oh man, it, it, it we we, so we do. Uh, you and I do a good job of of getting off on and just talking about deer. And I, I wanted to kind of continue Absolutely. down the road of talking about talking about Radix products. We we're talking about your cameras, and yeah. uh, you know. We didn't even talk about cell cameras, and you've got some other stuff that's really, really cool and unique to Radix hunting. And you know, I, I kind of let the floor that's open perfect. to let you talk about that here before uh, before we let you go. Yeah, absolutely. I know I've taken up a lot of time. I appreciate you having me. And like I said, uh, yeah, we have as far as Radix. You know, we started with trail cameras, and um, probably trail cameras. Uh, I always will have trail cameras for, with Radix, but. Uh, you know, it was a saturated market as from a business standpoint. So um, I knew that, hey, if I, you know, want to do this and uh, for for a living, um, I probably need to expand um, some of my product lines. And we started with, uh, you know, uh, a soft shell blind is, uh, you know, comes with a 10 foot tower. And we started off with that um, after the trail cameras and kind of added that to our product line. And that has been accepted very well. I think we've been selling them for four years, and it's been it's been great. And then we added a hard shell blind to the product line, and uh, uh, that's been going really great. We're super excited about that. It's kind of our first full year of selling hard shell blinds, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just been awesome. And uh, trying to keep them in stock has been a lot of fun. But mm. uh, like I said, we, we're learning a lot of things um, as we broaden our, you know, our view of products, our line of products. And uh, but uh, for 2023, we, uh, you know, I want to add basically um, majority of the products that I that I personally use from, uh, um, you know, ladder stands to uh, steps to hang-ons to ground blinds, just. Basically, the whole nine yards that'll be available later this, uh, you know, early summer. So, yeah, we're super excited. We've been working, and that's probably another reason why I haven't gotten to do as much shed hunting, et cetera, but uh, that's part of it. Once, uh, you know, I'm excited to, to launch those products later this year. 
Yeah, and I'm going to be anxious to have you back on to talk about uh, some of those products and and how they are because because one, one thing that I um, one thing that I will I've said you know again I, I do some private land hunting and I, I think this is a whole other podcast in and of itself and that's talking about those blinds you know blinds have a a bad yeah. taste in some people's mouth and I understand the 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 reasons why people say that but at the same time mm-hmm. you want to talk about in my opinion one of the most valuable tools when it comes to hunting food plots man in my opinion it's hard to beat um be blinds like that especially the the hard side of blinds where you've got the ability to um you know have good gaskets and have windows that are silent that you can open like to me that is so valuable and i think i know we talked about this one other time you know that that's one thing that you really value in the blinds that you produce yes yes absolutely yeah, blinds have really changed it, and, you know, I, I definitely don't want to take the credit. I mean, I think uh, I would say a lot of the credit should go back to the juries, uh, Mark Jury and Terry. You know, they started with kind of the blind thing, I think, as far as using it um, for your benefit. I mean, I think hunting blinds have been around for a long time, you know, but obviously we don't want to get on that subject too much. I'll talk for another hour, but uh, there is, you know, going back to what you said is, it's kind of like running trail cameras. Once you figure out how to set up your blind on a food plot, even just a small plot, um, the luxury it gives you as far as, you know, getting away with movement, uh, scent, et cetera. Oh man, there's, there's just endless possibilities you can get away with a blind right. to increase your op- making that shot. And, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's nothing like sitting in a tree. Don't get me wrong. I still do a fair share of sitting in a tree, but, I definitely have kind of inched more towards, uh, you know, using the blinds more and more. <laughs> Not just because I sell them, I just see the advantage, you know, I, the advantage you have of staying there longer in weather, et cetera, um, and everything included from scent to movement, to everything, you know, just so much, much to value to using them. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. It's like for me, like you, you said it best. If I had to choose my pick as far as the level of enjoyment when we're talking about going hunting, just like the mm-hmm. the aesthetics of, of deer hunting, like you can't beat being, being in a tree stand. Uh, the flat out, I will right. say that. But I will say in my yeah. experience, if um, I don't know what it's like where you're at in Iowa, but I can tell you right now, if the forecast is a west wind in a lot of the places I hunt, it might be dominant out of the west, but winds kind of swirl here with our topography and our landscape like a lot. And uh, yep. there's nothing worse than sitting on a food plot in a tree stand and have swirling winds bust your hunt. And I would tell you what, when it comes to just the level of encounters of mature deer that I've had and the, the success in actually connecting and killing a mature deer, I will mm-hmm. wholeheartedly put that into a blind. And I, I, like I said, I think that's something that we'll have to, uh, we'll have to elaborate on more at another time. But I, I, wa- I just wanted to make that, uh, that statement because, um, the, the, the blinds that you produce are, uh, of that quality and of that standard and i i really appreciate that and and we'll like i said we'll yeah. we'll get we'll connect again later this year and, and talk more about the those products and how to position but i'm really uh, i'm really yeah. excited uh moving forward and talking with you connecting with you and I, again i really i really appreciate you taking time out of your day and chatting with us and, and talking mature buck hunting and trail cameras and everything yeah no absolutely i appreciate you having me and like i said uh i'm just uh 
talking from my experience and what I've learned, I definitely uh, don't uh, think I uh, classify as knowing at all. But uh, like I said, I I definitely love and sharing. I don't share a lot, you know. Honestly, uh, I've learned with big deer, you don't, you can't have too many friends. <laughs> so I don't share as much as I probably should. So this is kind of uh, kind of interesting, you know. I don't like I said, I don't share. I don't share a lot, but I don't mind sharing. It's just uh, you kind of. Uh, become a loner when you if you like chasing big deer um it's probably a little bit more of a one man game and uh you kind of kind of grow into just hunting by yourself and uh so yeah it's kind of it is fun talking about it cuz I like I said I don't share a lot about it but I definitely enjoy it uh, uh, absolutely and I I mean that's a fine line that I try to walk because, you know, I'm, I'm doing this show. I want to bring quality information that's entertaining and informative and, and stuff. And I try to relate my own personal experiences. But I've been in those situations where you're targeting deer and you don't want to say too much because, again, it, it's – that's just a hard line we walk in. Like I, I hunt with people and I know people that feel the same way. And like, you don't want to give out too much information. And you know what, of, of, of all things, they're right. I don't disagree with them at all. So like it, it's, it's, yep. a, but I mean, you know, for the, the fact that you uh, are, are willing to, to chat about some, we, we'll try and we'll try to make sure that in the future, we don't let the cat out of the bag too much. We don't want to give away <laughs> all your secrets. No, it's, it's fine. There's, you know, there's a lot of space. I tell people it's, it's kind of dumb that we're fighting over deer. There's a lot of a lot of deer, but you know, deer uh, deer do funny things. I just say deer do funny things to people, and I've been on you know the bad side of it. So I've just kind of tried to find that balance, you know, where you know you can still have friends and still enjoy chasing big deer. But uh, like I said, it is. It is funny what deer do to people. <laughs> deer do crazy things to me. To be honest with you, uh, the pursuit of a mature, I've said this so many times, I'm going to say it again. The pursuit of a mature deer, there's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, you got to keep your priorities in line in order for Absolutely. that to not get ugly. And, you know, one of the things I, I'll I'll just make mention of, you know, we talked this whole entire time about mature deer. But at the same time, one of the first things that you brought into your conversation when you moved to Iowa was you moved there um, with 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 consent and the blessing of your wife, and went there to yep. to be part of a community that um, w- w- you know part of your church and your church community, which was the foundation yep. of everything. And that is something I talk about on this show so much. And I don't really care what deer, where you hunt, or what you're hunting throughout the country. That is the core principles and foundation of life. I mean, at the end of the day, yep. who cares how many big deer you have on your wall? Um, there's a lot more important things to that. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, if it wouldn't be for my family's support, my wife's support, she supports what I do. And, uh, she, uh, like I said, without her and it, it, uh, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. And obviously our, our church family as well, you know, uh, we have a good church family up here and, uh, it is, it's, it's great. But like I said, that's, that's where it starts. You don't have that, uh, behind you. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same for sure. 
Bingo. Well, hey, I think that's a perfect way to end it on that note. Um, real quick, um, I know you're not the social media guru um, that some of us are, but I, I would at least like to throw it out there. Where are the places that um, people can connect uh, to find information about Radix? And, and just a, an asterisk behind that, um, you're going to see that stuff on my page, pages and all the places you can follow Pennsylvania Woodsman. You'll, you'll also get those links and connections too. But you know, I just want you to throw that out there before we go. Yeah, absolutely. So for the the hunting products, uh, for Radix products, you know, it would be just um, you can go on our social media pages. We do have Radix Hunting on Instagram and Facebook, and then also our website. Uh, our website's a little bare right now. We are doing some, uh, you know, in between some orders, so uh, it could be a little bare as far as what products are available. But you can go to www.radixhunting.com. And then also for trail camera mounts, uh, you can go to www.stickandpick.com. And uh, that is mostly trail camera mounts. And uh, like I said, all of them are uh, on social media, which would be uh, uh, Instagram and Facebook is where we uh, do a lot of it. So, so yeah, you can interact there. And, and uh, if you have questions, you know, feel free to give us a shout on any of those platforms. And we'll be uh, happy to help any way we can fantastic fantastic well hey thanks again and uh hey i'm looking forward to connecting with you again and also best of luck chasing them uh them thunder chickens (laughs) all right i'll keep you updated and, and same to you thanks for having me